This episode is brought to you by Barry on HBO. Critics have hailed this comedy as fascinating and hilarious, remarkable, and audaciously original. For your Emmy consideration and outstanding comedy series and all other categories, visit hbo.com FYC for more on Barry. The subtle nuances of composer Marcelo Zarvo's style is evident in his recent scores for such movies as Denzel Washington's Fences and Showtime series such as Ray Donovan and The Affair, as well as Matt Weiner's Romanoff episode, Panorama. We talk with Zarvos about his craft of canvassing classical rock and electronic genres on Crew Call. Tell me, tell me about your journey into film composing. You went to CalArts. I went to CalArts, yeah. Actually, initially, I went to, I went to Berkeley. Uh, in Boston. In Boston, with the intention of studying film scoring. And ironically, when I got there, I thought it was too soon. And I was too young to kind of specialize. So I went to CalArts and ended up doing classical music and jazz and all sorts of other stuff. And I didn't really start composing for film until about 10 years after I had come to this country with the idea of studying film music. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so... Similar thing at Berkeley, you were you were just going to... You to do st- film score, yeah. That was my intention. But then I realized that I wanted to really broaden and study music in general before okay. specializing in film. I thought that people were being kind of corralled into almost like being jingle composers. And then and, and I felt like I wanted just more, a broader education. Yeah. Now, how did, how did it all start for you? Because I know that, you know, your initial credits were indie films. Yes. But... A big thing here is like if, if if you can get if you can get in is is Hans's is Hans's yes. place. Was that did you seek that out or were you able to were you able to get onto independent films very early on and then it just kind of rolled from there? That's how it was. And also, you know, I lived in New York for up until about two and a half years ago. So my entire career I built from New York. So it was out doing indie movies. So Hans was never even an option because I was not in LA. I was coming here to work, but I lived in New York for the majority of my life. So what was your first what was your first big project? Kissing Kissing Jessica Stone? Kiss, before that, there were a couple of indie ones. There was Tully was the, the first feature film that I did. Kissing Jessica Stein was the second, which was actually, you know, was a nice hit at the time. That you went know. to Sundance, I think. Um, that did not go to Sundance. Uh, it went to um, what used to be the LAIFF, and now I think it became the LA Film Festival, maybe. And and it went to Toronto. Uh, so it was picked up at Toronto, and then Fox Searchlight put it out, and it was it was a sizable success. It was that at that time you still had those that uh, pattern of of you know any movie goes to a festival breaks out and kissing jessica stein was very much that uh um it it did pretty well with with searchlight and then from there i kept on doing more indie movies in new york uh did one called much boy that went to sundance and finally the first kind of breakout bigger movie for me was the the drawing the floor which was a focus features film with jeff bridges and kim basinger and from that i did a few more for uh for focus hollywood land and sin nombre and then The Good Shepherd. And then I started to kind of get bigger and better jobs. Um, and no TV until about 2009 is when I started doing TV. So I had about nine years of just film. And that's right when the TV was starting to change to this incredible ecosystem we have now of so much stuff. So I did The Big C was my first uh, series for Showtime. And then uh, once that was done, I started doing Ray Donovan, which is one of the things we'll, we'll talk about. And 
after that the affair. So what what's really uh, brilliant about your work is is how subtle it is. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 keyed right into the emotions, but it doesn't overpower them. And it's 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 um, and you really choose your moods. Uh, like the first thing I'm going to jump to is in the affair, the episode that you're submitting, episode um, 408. On mm-hmm. um, there's the moment where um, he goes to the morgue mm-hmm. and he learns that, you know, he yeah, sees her yeah, body. Yeah, which is yeah. a long time coming and kind of, but it is the moment that it's like, it's true. choices are very interesting it's like an ethereal uh very heavenly but not overpowering explain explain that it's because it's to me it's it's a very keen sense of psychology and how people are and i know that there's a whole like there's a whole other uh, thing in, in in film composing of less is less is more mm-hmm. not everything needs yeah. to be a john williams theme but no disrespect to him but um it's just very it's very very uh, it's very interesting how you're able to plug into that. And I'm wondering, like, if you could talk about that Absolutely. moment in particular Absolutely. and how that came to be between because, you. Yeah, and that's that's key to my music period. I mean, I've always been, I always equated with overacting in music. And like, nobody wants to see an actor overact and kind of really do, do that thing. And I feel I've always tried to mirror what they do in that sense. And, you know, I've, I've had the chance to work with great actors, sometimes in the director's chair, sometimes just in the acting chair. And, and f- the, the idea of like maximum intensity with the least amount of effort, which I feel like when we see an effortless performance of an actor, that's what we see. If it's Robert De Niro, if it's wh- wh- whoever it is, they, they pack a lot with very little. And that's, that was always been, that's been my inspiration for my music is like, how much can we say with, certainly the less is more is a, is, kind of a catch-all phrase for, for that. And the, the biggest amount of, of emotional impact with the minimal amount of intrusion, you know, and I feel, you know, because I've cut my teeth in dramas and still to this day I'm basically doing dramas, I've always been very wary of melodrama, you know, and I feel like music sometimes is the difference in a, in a show between great acting and melodrama you know i mean it, we can push it to the point of melodrama with the music and i've always been very i policed myself i've been lucky to work with filmmakers that also were very aware of that and and i was trying to make the sort of the elegant choice and uh, and try to really uh it's kind of almost the difference between theater and film when you talk to an actor that you know in theater you have to speak much louder 
and project. In film, they might have the camera right on your eyes and that's it. So any little movement is big. And I feel a similar thing with how I approach music. I wanted to do what's necessary and take the entire tableau uh, of what's happening. Music, images, sound many times, you know, and, and sound design into and to really create the biggest emotional impact with, with the least amount of, of, um, of intrusion. And also dialogue is king. And so I'm always very, very keen on, on kind of working around the dialogue. In that scene that you're describing in the morgue, there's not, not much dialogue. It's really, it's all being sad and it's just, you know, sadness and... and, and it's just and, right. And, yeah, and, but it really was, you know, and, and the affair has been like such a great show to explore that even further. I feel like I had this in my work for a long time, but on the affair, I feel like everything went to the next level in terms of really trying to explore the psychology of these characters without pushing it too far. Now, why that episode you selected in particular for for submission, the semi season, was it was it because it's that pivotal scene? It is because you know it's that's like the biggest bombshell of the show has you know has just been reviewed and and I've and I um, revealed. I'm sorry, uh, and um, and I felt like you know that's that's letting go of of somebody that for who's basically the central character of, of the entire show and for both men that are the morgue at that time, you know, the fact that they have to come together and come to, you know, do this gruesome discovery. And, and it's sort of the end of a very long cycle that starts on the pilot. And really, I mean, the show continues and there's a very exciting season still coming, you know, but that really is the end of a, of a very big cycle for the show. And then in Ray Donovan... Uh, what a great episode! Yeah, that was a that, fun one. Yeah. Um, the name, the name of it was is it's episode it's episode six eleven. Never gonna give you up. Yeah. Well, I mean, just a nocturnal chase. Yes. And um, again, there's talk about that. What what are we what are we hearing? We're hearing is is it is it the is it the sound design? Is it the synthetic? Is it string? It it's, sounds like some it's strings. very electronic, and even the the acoustic instruments, piano, strings, guitar, are heavily heavily processed. Sometimes combined with other things, and really tweaked in a pretty extreme way, but still always keeping a little bit of a human organic element right in the background. But it's definitely there's plenty of layers on top of that, and and in that show is. You know, Ray is, is frantically looking for his daughter. And after having lost his wife, I, I think that the stakes are even higher now of like, you know, that's the great, the root, true great love of his life is his daughter, you know, like in not, in, you know, in a father-daughter kind of way. And he's just will stop at nothing. And there's just that, like you said, it's ultimately it's one night, night chase. But um like without things, Ray is very uh, laden with with emotion and real, real. I uh, uh, also talk about less is more. You know, I mean, Liev's performances are always very, very compressed and very restrained, but there's always that intensity behind it. He's a great example of what I what I aim for in music. It's kind of Liev's acting, which is he talks quietly, very few facial expressions, but a lot is coming through and that's kind of what I try to key in. In that episode, you have a lot more activity and a lot, there's real chases and real, there's more movement going on, you know, in, but still the show tends to be, 
you know, unless they're full on, there's somebody being beat to the, bitten to death or something. But a lot of the times, still, the action is restrained. executive producers, if it's the creators, you know, I would look at, say, a Mad Men episode or not to knock AMC, yeah, yeah. any kind of AMC yeah. episode like Breaking Bad or, or, um, or, or Mad Men. And it was always like the music was far and few between. Yeah. And I always got a sense that it was because of budget. Mm-hmm. And it was never something like the ABC shows like Revenge yeah. or Once Upon wall a Time yeah. where it's like wall-to-wall music. Uh, like Revenge reminds me of like like a Hitchcock. Film. Exactly. It just it's keeps full, going. full yeah, on. It keeps yeah, going. Yeah. And so, but it, so with AMC, I always looked at it as, um, oh, they're on a budget. But cable's different. But premium cable is different. And I'm curious, do you make the choices of, I think this is where the music should go, or is it, or is it the executive producer saying we need music here and here, or is it a back and how does that conversation? It's a back and forth, and I think as the shows, I mean, both the affair and, and Ray have been going for a while now, and we have a real great shorthand, and everybody, I think, at one point realized, okay, it's no longer even about what even the showrunner wants. The show wants what it wants, and I think the more we all start to really listen to that and not overscore it not underscore it and it's i wouldn't say budget is a really a consideration of how much music goes on ray tends to have a few a little more song in this particular episode not so much but you know any given episode of ray there might be some you know three four very featured songs the affair much much less uh but it's definitely a creative thing and they definitely listen to me and they know now also we kind of know what to expect and how you don't know how each episode is going to go musically, but you have an idea of the framework that we've been, you know, and we're constantly trying to expand it and push it. But it's there is an average amount of music that goes into it. In the case of Ray, that the episode that I chose is almost like wall-to-wall music, which is more unusual. But also, it was a it was a time that even before the season began, David Hollander told me, "Okay, on that episode, it's all about you. You just go for it." So we had a little bit more time to do it and really. Uh, and he was very much carried by the music. This episode is brought to you by Barry on HBO. Critics have hailed this comedy as fascinating and hilarious, remarkable, and audaciously original. For your Emmy consideration and outstanding comedy series and all other categories, 
Visit hbo.com slash FYC for more on Barry. And then how many instruments are you, like between Affair and Ray Donovan, how many, how many instruments are you working? They're not big, you know. I mean, we might have string quartet, piano, guitar. Sometimes in Ray we have trumpet, not in these episodes that we, that we looked at. And uh, in the Affair we have voice. Um, and a lot of synthesizers, a lot of electronic stuff as well. Um, which which I which I was yeah. keen which I was keen about yeah and it's very much uh, it's they they it's it's again it's it's that's definitely an aesthetic choice you know I mean we've had like on Ray we've had orchestras on the on the first season on the affair on the, the end of the third season we had an orchestra but it really never when we needed it we talked about it and and they said okay let's do it but I feel like the shows are much more intimate and. We never wanted the music to be bigger than what's on the screen. And that was very important. And I think, again, to circle back to how we started this conversation, that's also sort of what I'm known for and the kind of a more subtle approach. And so we we never, you know, it was the instrumentation tends to be about the electronics, a lot of piano. You know, it's it's something that both shows have in common, a lot of piano, which I play and which I play in a very specific way that, the the filmmakers tend to respond really well to. So the Romanovs, mm-hmm. how did th- that? That's really interesting. He selected different composers. Yes. For for different episodes. Yes. And tell me about that. I mean, each of these, it's like he made ten. It's like he he's did. Made he did movies. So they, movies. They were all movies. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge Mad Winer fan. You know, when when I found out about, I mean, you know, Mad Man was just a cultural phenomenon. I I loved it. There was, they had a composer, they didn't, you know, when this came up, I really went after it, but nothing seemed to be coming of it until they reached out, reached out sort of like independently of all of that. Because of the episode being set in Mexico, they were looking for a Latin American composer. And I was like, okay, I'm Brazilian, but I'll, I'll speak I Spanish. Hear the guitar. Yeah. I hear the guitar. A lot of guitar. It was a big, it was a big thing that, that he wanted it to sound to sound Latin. He wanted that sound. And there's plenty of, you know, songs as well. Some that are not Latin sounding at all and some that are. And Matt Weiner is a fascinating, you know, storyteller and, and very much about the music, you know, a lot of times about songs. I think he's, he's a genius in how he chooses songs. And I just went to it like, okay, whatever you need. There was no agenda of like, okay, I want to make a giant statement with the score. And we ended up, the nice thing about it is that when the score is in, it really is in and you'll hear it and it's on your face and it's very, there's very little of the kind of like quiet score under dialogue because he doesn't want us to score under dialogue. Although there's the few voiceover pieces, the opening piece in particular, which is sort of the main theme of happens under. So uh, it's, it's in, it's in, is it in, it's, it's, it's generally in segues with him in, in, you know, like when we see him, when we see him walking into into the hospital, yes, I think there, there's it, music. There's, there's music, music there. there. There's there there is music a little bit under the, under like the opening uh, scene. The protagonist is who's this kind of poet wants to be a poet, really. You know, a, a younger man that is a journalist, but really is a poet. Speaking poetry, really, that's what that's what it is. And he for that one, he wanted the music to almost like treat that poem like a song and just you know, go and, and, and reinforce that. Although there's a, it's very melodic, the music, and he was not looking for just pads. He wanted themes. Uh, we talked a lot about, 
And he didn't want it to be necessarily Mexican, contemporary Mexican sounding. He wanted a sort of a Hispanic sound, if you will, a Spanish in general sound, because it was really not about, it's about this guy who thinks he's in the 19th century and who's a poet and who like idealizes this, this American woman and wants to help her and is very selfless, but really about a dreamer, you know, about somebody that really is a dreamer. He wants to be a dreamer. And the music had to really capture that spirit. It's very different from 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 the affair and um and Ray Donovan even even um Matt told me he said, you know, I want the music to kind of overact in this one. Kind of like a big Latin actor that would say lines like that. He wanted the music to go there, which it does at times, particularly for this opening section and uh there's another one, which is the first time that he sees the woman uh, that he falls in love with. So he wanted the music to have this extremely romantic quality. And, and also, as, we, as the story evolves, it's both that episode is a, is a uh, love, you know, a poem of love about love, but also about Mexico City. And so it had to be, and the old stuff in Mexico City, the romance of it. So there's a bit of a travelogue quality to that episode where you go and you see all these places uh, that are just beautiful. Uh, you know, uh, the city of, of, of gods, you know, where the, the pyramids are and, and the old church in, the, in downtown Mexico. And, and, and he wanted it to have that kind of old romantic quality to it. The, mute, the score in particular. He wanted it to sound classical and he wanted it to sound uh, not of this time, of a sort of a little bit of a eternal uh, time. What's interesting is, um, you know, given the motif that runs throughout the the episodes, because it's it's about yeah. modern day, yeah, yeah, yeah modern yeah. day living, Romanovs. He never he never said everything was always a standalone, like a film. Yes, there was not like okay, we have a main theme that someone composed that we need to weave in. No, at no, any no, point it's completely time. separated. I mean, you know, they have the title sequence, which is what it is, but right. no, every episode is completely the only. You know, and the, the Romanovs references are pretty thin at times, including in this episode. It's a very, a very removed, you know, when I re read about it, I was like, oh, it's a story of the Romanovs. And now that the stuff that happened with them, where did they go? But it's it's more in the end. It's it's I feel like it was a vehicle to explore privilege and explore class differences and all these other stuff that obviously the Romanovs are you know, intrinsically connected with, you know, the idea of royalty and then of being, you know, uh, destroyed and, and kind of uh, sent into exile and that privilege that no longer exists. But, um, but I, you know, in, in that case, it was also, he's talking about the privilege of rich people going to Mexico to literally get the blood out of, of, of the poor, you know, and the new, the new form of colonialism, but still always, Circling back to this idea of 
the haves and the have-nots and, and all of that, but with a lot of romance and a lot of physical beauty uh, woven into it. The other project I want to talk about that's up for um, a sports a sports semi is Antoine Fuqua's What's My Name, Muhammad Ali, mm-hmm. which made its its world premiere at um, the Tribeca Film yeah. Festival. How is it How is it with a doc, with music? What is, is it the same gist as when you're dealing with... Um, the drama of of any particular episode or movie, or like, or is it more pronounced? In this case, I think documentaries can go a few different ways. In the case of this film, is much more pronounced. The music, in a way, because it's you know the the film is is a is a collection of clips from Ali's life, so there was nothing that was shot for the film. And in a way, I almost when I look in retrospect, it's almost like an animated project in the sense that everything has to come to life from being put together, uh, edited together, and then the music needs to kind of literally breathe life into it. And Antoine wanted a very dramatic score. I mean, that score is probably more dramatic than what I do for dramas in general. The fights are outscored to the T, like action sequences with big orchestra and percussion. At first, I was like, wow, really, are we going to do this? And then when we started to get into it, it's extremely effective and it really works. It wasn't Juan's idea. And and um, we had worked together in Brooklyn's Finest and he was just Antoine. He's, he's done some some cool documentaries, but obviously he's he's a feature director and done some, some incredible work. And he wanted the music to go big. It was like, go big or go home. You have to hang out with Ali there and we have to capture that rhythm and the size of Ali and the strength and the power. And, you know, in the second half, as we start to go towards the later part of his life, also sort of the decline and the, the you know, the sacrifice that he made. And, and I kept thinking all the time that that's a true hero story, you know, not a superhero. There's no cape, but he's a true hero in the sense that he would fall down and he gets up again every time in his life, in the ring, outside the ring. And even when he was really past the point where he should, he should have stopped fighting, he continues to fight because he wants to keep helping the, all these different causes around the world. And, and the hero sacrifices himself in this case. And I feel like there was, it's really about the mythology of, of Ali and, and that, the, the, that character that we all grow up, uh, grew up you know, loving and admiring. And the music is definitely not less is more. It's definitely more is more in that one. <laughs> we always close out um, with some advice to prospective, compo- you know, to per- to burgeoning composers. Um, what, when people ask you, you know, hey, I want to be a film composer, what's your, you know, what's yes. the best, uh, what's the best advice? Because you're, you're very much self, you're very much self-made. Yes, very much so. I mean, I think that the path of working for somebody like Hans or one of the, you know, as an apprentice, it's a great path. Had I been in LA, I probably would have tried that, at least attempted that path. I think it's a very good one. One thing that I'll say for everybody that asks me, I want to be a film composer. The first thing I say, and it's a little bit semantics, but it's very true today. If you want to be a film composer, be a TV composer, because that's where it's at right now, you know, and that's where it's going. Episodic is what everybody wants. And even at the highest level of film with Avengers, it is episodic, you know, and people want to consume stuff in that way. But there's so much uh, content out there. And I feel like the opportunities in TV, it used to be that like there was even a connotation of TV music, you know, it's kind of bad, it's not so good. 
But in the last 10, 15 years, that has been completely erased. And I think what's being done in TV is just the quality. There is no difference anymore, just like in the writing or the acting or the production values. So I, the thing that I say is, okay, think of being a media composer, not a film composer. And include TV in this because the chances are, the biggest chances of a break are going to come from TV now and not and not from a film. It can still happen in film, but I think the, the odds are because there's so much incredible stuff being done. And the other one is being true to yourself and to your style and try to find out who you are. I had the privilege of doing that by working on my own for many years doing indies and figuring out my voice. And I think that there is a danger of like, the one danger of working under somebody else is that you can become so influenced and it can be such a formative experience that sometimes people have a hard time branching out. Certainly with Hans is not the case because, you know, I can think of 15 composers right now that are some of the best composers working today that work for Hans. But for, the, for, these, for those 15, there's probably another 150 that did not do that. So I think staying strong to one's inartistic voice is, is, is key. Excellent. Thank you so much. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you very much. Thanks.